But a pleasant good morning to each of you. I trust that your week has gone reasonably well. I'll pull this down. I'm away from you, so <laughs> maybe that'll work. We're glad that we can be together today on this first day of the week to offer praise and adoration to God. I'd like for us, before we go further, to spend a little bit of time in prayer. Shall we pray together? Our holy God, we are grateful today that on this beautiful Lord's Day, with all the things that are happening around us, that we can come together in the quiet of this building. And in doing this can become a sanctuary in which we offer worship and praise to you. We're thankful, Father, for what we have sung in regard to your glory and your honor and your care that you have for us. Father, we pray today that you'll help each of us to recognize that, yes, we have been made in the likeness and in the image of God. And stamped on that image is the care that you have for each one of us, for the joys that we share and for the burdens that we may bear and for the sorrows that may come and for the joyful experiences that we may have. Our Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we may look upon you as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, And in doing that, that we may, as this Philippian letter so often urges, find the joy of the Lord that really passes our own understanding. We're grateful, Father, for the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ, the joy of salvation, the joy of hope, the joy of thinking in terms of everlasting life. But we're grateful today, Father, that we can rejoice that in this time of the pandemic, in this time of civil unrest, that you are with us, that you are our God, that we can rely upon you, that we can find in you a peace, a peace that really passes the understanding, the comprehension of others. We thank you for that peace, and we thank you for that hope that we have. And today, Lord, as we come together, Hear our prayer. Hear our plea for uh, things to become better. Better so far as the pandemic is concerned. Better so far as the civil unrest is concerned. Lord, use us. Use us to be instruments of your service. We pray now that you will forgive us of our sins And be with us as we think together in these moments at this time. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. It was around the year 1900 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that the Frank Grafs were rejoicing in a beautiful young lady, beautiful young daughter that was a part of their family, really their joy and pride. And they had dressed her in a full-length skirt. Now, in those days, in houses, as you would probably be aware, the heat for the house was by a wood stove or by 
uh, a uh, fireplace. On this particular day, they had dressed her in this beautiful skirt, and as she was standing there before them, and they were admiring this, and she backed up, she backed up against the fireplace. And because of all of the layers of lace that were a part of the skirt, immediately the fire just consumed her. And before they could do anything, her life had been taken from her. That was a devastating thing to these parents. And if you are a parent, you can imagine what the devastation would be like. Frank Graff was overcome with grief over the loss of his daughter. And so he began to write this song. You saw he sang a part of it a while ago. In the third verse, he wrote, Does Jesus care when I said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it ought to him? Does he see? And I think if you are a parent, you can identify with questions like that. And then he wrote, and thank you for leading us in that chorus twice, Joseph. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are dreary and the long nights weary, I know my Savior cares. That's what I want to be emphasizing today. As we face this pandemic, and it's gone on and on, and as we experience the civil unrest that is occurring in our land, we're asking the question, in all of this, does Jesus really care? Does Jesus care? And I want to say today, that we may be sure that he cares. This is really the comfort that we have at this time, the assurance that we have in a time of uncertainty. As we were driving up, Emily and I were talking briefly, and we're saying something to the effect, in some ways, this seems like the longest year, and yet, here it is, August already. It seems like it's gone by rather quickly. Well, the the Lord knows our situation. And what I want to be saying this morning is the Lord knows our needs, real needs. Sometimes what we perceive as needs are not what are the real needs that we have. And the message that he has speaks to us in our needs. You may remember that John said concerning Jesus, he himself knew what was in man. And that really means that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your needs better than you yourself know your needs. It is out of the abundance that he blesses us in our needs. In the Old Testament, one of the Psalms is describing how the deep grace of God speaks to the deep need of man. And it's simply stated this way, that deep calls to deep. And I think that's a good thought for us to consider this morning, that the deep grace of God speaks to the deep need that we have at this time. I want to focus especially on verse 19 of our reading today. 
Philippians 4:19. In that, Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The provisions of God through Jesus Christ are designed to meet our needs. This past week I have read and marked some essays. That's part of my task. And one of the uh, essays had to do with a major world religion. And the, the God of that major world religion really does not show any grace or love or mercy. He gives no assurance to us. Even the founder of that religion, Mohammed, had himself to say he wasn't sure when he stood before God in the day of judgment whether he would pass muster or not. But through Jesus Christ, we can have assurance. Because Jesus meets the needs that, are, that we have. Paul said, our sufficiency is from God. And so today, I want us to look to God for our sufficiency. I want us to look especially to Jesus Christ because of what he offers. Look briefly at this passage. and Let's just think of what Paul must have had in mind when he says that God would meet our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. What does he offer? What is it that he makes available to us? How is it that we can say that our sufficiency is from God? Look briefly at some thoughts that are suggested here. In the deep need that we have, what we need above all is to stand right before God. And through Jesus Christ, we have the offering of pardon. He will abundantly pardon is the promise that is made. What we need to recognize today is the biggest problem that we have in our world is the problem of sin. Let's call it as it is. The problem of sin. And the problem of sin is grounding in selfishness. Our selfishness is a demonstration of the problem of sin. From the very beginning, the very first sin, they saw that the tree was good for food. Saw that it was a delight to the eyes. Saw that it would make you white. Look what this will do for me. Thinking of me, regardless of what God had said about it. That's the entrance of sin into the world. That's the way Paul has described it in Romans 5. And that problem is throughout our world. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. And it brings about the miserable condition that we have. You can hear Paul say, Oh, miserable man, oh, wretched man that I am. You see, sin promises what it does not give. And it gives what it never has promised. But through Jesus Christ, we have the answer to the problem of sin. Jesus offers pardon. And how does that come about? Remember the basis for that pardon. As the writer to the Hebrews uh, said, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How do we have that deep need met? It took the cross of Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice, for that to become a reality. And so as a result, blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Today we have something in which we can rejoice. And that is, in this time of uncertainty, this time of trial, this time of trouble, 
Our Lord offers pardon to us from our sins. Deep need, pardon. Now, when we think in terms of the problem of sin, the problem of sin brings about difficulties in life. The problem of sin causes frustration. The problem of sin brings anything but peace. And that's what I want to share with you that is stressed all the way through this Philippian letter. That the Christ who offers pardon to us is the Christ who brings peace to our lives. That word peace is based on the term shalom. And shalom has to do with the wholeness. And that's what Jesus Christ offers to us. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. The one who offers pardon to us offers peace to our lives. People are interested in peace, want peace. We hear people talking about peace all the time. How do you find peace? Some people seem to think that you find peace by the plenty of processions. So uh, we have individuals like the rich uh, young uh, ruler, rich fool that Jesus describes in Luke 12, who had the idea that the peace that comes is by getting more and more and more. Others think in terms of peace as a result of sowing the seeds of pleasure. Uh, Paul speaks of those in 1 Corinthians 15 who say, let us eat and drink because tomorrow we die. That's it. So the only peace that we have is whatever pleasure we can find at the present time. Jonah thought that he could find peace by running away to a different place. The prodigal son thought that he could find peace by going to a foreign country. But it didn't work in either case. What we want to say today is that we find peace in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, He is our peace. He is our peace. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Yes, you do. The word for tribulation there is the idea of a roller, the heavy roller that packs down the the, uh, tar on the pavement. In the world you have the heavy roller, you have the pressure. But he said, Take heart. I have overcome the world. Peace in Christ. There is pardon. There is peace. But when Paul said that my God will supply every need to you, I think we need to look beyond what pardon and peace offer to us, and that is it leads us to an understanding of genuine, true purpose. When Paul said that God would, uh, that through Jesus Christ he would supply every need to ours, of ours, he's speaking in terms of giving to us the sense of meaningful purpose in life. And the unfortunate thing today is we're seeing in 2020 so many who don't seem to understand what the real purpose and the meaning of life is. So, as a result, we can Uh, have the description that is given by Eugene O'Neill in one of his uh, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, plays, the uh, long uh, day's journey into the night. Or, as the atheist uh, 
Bertrand Russell would put it, that a person's life is like a long march in the dark at night with no really definite place to, to, to have as destiny. Meaninglessness in life. We're seeing, I think, that demonstrated so much in the civil unrest that's going on in our world today. The meaninglessness. What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? What's life all about? I remember one time our having a class together with a group of people when we were in Australia, and we raised the question, what is the purpose of life, the meaning of life? And we had several adults there together. And I, I was surprised, I was shocked. As we went around asking, what is the purpose of life? We were getting an answers, answers like this. You know, I never have really thought about it. What? I never really have thought about what the purpose of life is. As a result, that becomes a meaningless experience. I want to share two thoughts with you in regard to purpose today. Number one, we need to look to God, who is the God of eternal purpose. We're, we're told by Paul in Ephesians that God is moving according to his eternal purpose in bringing about to us our redemption in Christ. And he says in Ephesians 1 that bringing Jews and Gentiles together into a redeemed relationship through Jesus Christ is according to his eternal purpose. The eternal purpose made manifest through Christ and the church. So today we serve a God of purpose, a God of eternal purpose. And what I want to say is this, that it is the sense of purpose that is associated with God that provides for us a high sense of personal purpose. What is your purpose in life? What is God's purpose all about? Let me get my purpose lined up with what God's purpose is. And so you hear Paul at an earlier time in Philippians saying, this one thing I do, one thing. My purpose, basically, he is saying, is to ally my purpose with God's purpose. And through Jesus Christ, there is purpose. There is meaning in life. There is meaning in life now, and there is hope in life to come. That's the way Paul has put it on some different occasions. The promise of the life that now is, and of the life to come. Purpose. And so, as we go back to this text, and we hear Paul saying that my God will supply to you all of your needs. He supplies pardon from our sins. He supplies to us that peace that Paul describes that can pass all understanding, all human comprehension. He supplies to us a sense of purpose, the meaningfulness of life. And along with that, I think there's something else that we need to be remembering. We sometimes sing this song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. That may not be uh, the most accomplished hymn, but it does express a truth that we're not here for long. The other night, in one of our readings, we read from Psalm 90, and you are familiar with that Psalm of Moses, 
in which he states that the years of a person's life are, the King James Version put it three score and ten, most of the modern versions put it seventy years, and then if we have some strength to go beyond that, it may even reach on beyond eighty. Well, then he reminds us that we pass away. So we are not here forever. We're not here for long. The other day we were in Tulsa to see, uh, to be with uh, my sister in putting away the body of her husband of 50 years. 78 years of age. Well, when you get up to that point in time, we begin to know, we begin to be aware of our mortality, that we are subject to death. So, there isn't anything that we can latch on to there that is permanent. But that's what I want to question at this time. Because Jesus Christ, in supplying to us to our needs, can offer to us, does offer to us, a sense of permanence. We recognize, as we've said, we're not here for long. I like some of the metaphors that Job has used when he described his situation in answer to Zophar and to the other friends of his. In Job 14, he says that we're like a flower that blooms for a while. It's seasonal, and it's gone. We're like the shadow that is here briefly, and it is gone. He says, when you cut down a tree, you may have a shoot that comes out, and there's maybe some hope of life in that, but it won't be long. But for man, he dies, he's laid low, and he is no longer among us. Or as Isaiah has put it and been quoted by Peter in 1 Peter 1, our life is like that of grass. All flesh is as grass, and its glory as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, it dies. Here in this part of the world, We know during the summertime we water our lawns, we have fresh green lawns, but along comes the frost in October, November, December, and what happens? It turns brown, it's gone. And so, uh, Peter says, the grass withers, the flower fails. Again, James used the metaphor. He said, life is like a mist, You see it early in the morning, but as the sun rises, the mist fades away. And we have this longing. I think all of us have a longing for permanence. We'd like to be here longer. One of the other songs that is sometimes uh, sung begins like this. I'd like to stay here longer than man's appointed days. You probably have heard that one. I think most of us would like to stay a little longer. We think we would. I've not met anybody yet that I know of. I don't recall it. I've not met anybody yet who said, I want to die. Because we'd like to stay here a little longer. How can we have a sense of permanence? I take you back again to Jesus. The writer to Hebrews says that he is the same today and forever. Jesus Christ remains. And because Jesus Christ remains, he offers to us what really lasts. And so I want to share with you this passage that Paul has written in 2 Corinthians. You may have heard it many times, but I think it's appropriate for today. Though our outer self is wasting away, 
Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he reminds us, the light momentary affliction that we now have is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The sense of permanence in Jesus Christ. So how can I how can I cope with today? And how can I cope with tomorrow if the Lord gives that to me? We're brought to a sense of our own limitations. Our physical strength will eventually play out. Our lives will soon fade away. But there is permanence in Christ. And while we are here, we're reminded of what Paul has said in the verse preceding our reading today in Philippians 4. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So there is a sense of power that is given to us by Jesus, who Paul has described, who provides for us all of our needs uh, that we have. So, we, we are weak. But Paul has reminded us that through Christ, we are made strong. We find that uh, we're not able to do what we would really like to do. That's the frustration Paul has expressed. I think we can join with him in Romans 7. Here's what I would really like to be. But I find that I come up short on that. But I want today to share with you this. Here in this first Sunday of August, in this time of our pandemic, in the time of our civil unrest, in the time of uncertainty, and I think we all sense that. This is, this is a different kind of time. I was talking with uh, my nephew by marriage the other day. He preaches for the church in Springdale, Arkansas. Much younger than I am. But he said, I've never seen anything like this. Well, I think that's what many of us are saying. I've never really seen anything like this. So how can I be strong? How can I have the dynamic that I need for the challenge that is before me? And here is the promise that the Lord has made. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Yes, we can be strong today. Not in our own physical strength, but in the enabling grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes us able. He opens our eyes. And Paul prayed that in opening our eyes, that we might be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope you're calling. And then in that same setting, that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The power of God's love and grace toward us who believe. So, as Paul concludes that first half of Ephesians, in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his power that works in us.
Yes, my God will supply all of your needs through Jesus Christ. I've tried to identify today the basic needs, the real needs that we have. And what I'm wanting to say is put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul says, you have been fulfilled in him. He knows our needs. Your father knows what you need even before he asks, Jesus said. He provides our needs. He provides the pardon for our sins. He gives us a peace that is passing all understanding. He identifies us with a purpose that is bigger than the frustrating experiences of our time. He assures us of a permanence, an eternal joy, an eternal life with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are made sufficient for whatever the needs are at the time. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. We can take that home with us today. God is able to make his grace abound unto each one of us, that we may be adequate, that we may be able to serve faithfully, that we may be sufficient. Jesus Christ provides the answer to us. In the 55th chapter of Isaiah, there is an invitation that went out at that time that I think is so appropriate for us today. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money, without price. It isn't money, it isn't goods, that can provide for us the deep need that we have. My grace is sufficient for you. As we close today, I want you to take that thought home with you, along with the the passage in Philippians 4, 19. His grace is sufficient. And His grace is sufficient for whatever your need may be at this time. We're about to sing a hymn that can serve as an invitation hymn. If you need to respond to the Lord today, that you may be restored to faithfulness in his service, that you may be baptized into Christ, whatever your need may be, you're encouraged to come while together we stand and sing.